The Talking Points podcast is produced in partnership with C. Michael Gibson and clinicaltrialresults.org. Hi, I'm Mike Gibson. I'm here live with Milt Packer talking about what I think is one of the hottest studies at ESC this year, the Emperor Reduced Study. Milt, tell us a little bit about the background. Set the stage for us for this trial. Well, this is a trial of uh, an SGLT2 inhibitor in heart failure. And uh, this is really an interesting story because SGLT2 inhibitors weren't developed for heart failure. They were developed for type 2 diabetes. And, but when they were tested in patients with diabetes, they had a modest effect to lower glucose, but they had a major effect to prevent heart failure events and to prevent serious renal events. And it wasn't really related to their effects on glucose. Mm -hmm. So um, we, we were interested in our, many, uh, many of us were interested in actually doing trials with these drugs in people with established heart failure with a reduced ejection fraction, whether they had diabetes or not. Mm-hmm. And on top of all standard conventional therapy for heart failure. So there was a previous trial announced um, about a year ago uh, with dapagliflozin called the DAPA-HF trial. Yes. And in that trial, that was a trial of about 4,700 patients with heart failure and a reduced ejection fraction with or without uh, uh, diabetes. And they found that dapagliflozin reduced uh, cardi- the com- uh, composite of cardiovascular death and hospitalizations for heart failure. So it, it was a, a, an impressively positive trial. And uh, the emperor reduced trial, the one that um, we're talking about today, is the sister trial to uh, DAPA-HF. Uh, uh, DAPA-HF was done with dapagliflozin. emperor reduced was done with empagliflozin, both SGLT2 inhibitors. Both trials enrolled patients with heart failure and a reduced ejection fraction with or without diabetes uh, on top of conventional therapy for heart failure. Uh, the dapagliflozin trial was 4,700 patients. Our trial was uh, 3,730 patients. And uh, we studied a sicker patient population. Uh, 70, 75% of our patients had an ejection fraction of 30% or less. We had a 40% higher level of natriuretic peptides and 20% of our patients were actually taking zucubitril valsartan, which represents the highest proportion of patients uh, in a heart failure trial getting a neprilysin inhibitor. Wow. So uh, we studied the background therapy. Uh, it's, the background therapy in this trial was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a very high percentage of patients were getting cardiac devices. So uh, we, we tested empagliflozin 10 milligrams once daily versus placebo on top of all recommended uh, treatment for heart failure. And the patients were followed for an average of 16 months. And what was your pre-specified primary endpoint? So uh, we 
really, we're extremely rigorous in our statistical plan. We specified three and only three endpoints that would determine the success or failure of the trial. Uh, we rank the endpoints in a hierarchical manner as is currently recommended. Um, our first endpoint was the composite of cardiovascular death and hospitalization for heart failure. Uh, the second uh, endpoint, which was the first of our secondaries, was a, the total number of hospitalizations for heart failure, including first and recurrent events. Mm -hmm. And the third was our renal endpoint. It was the slope in uh, the glomerular filtration rate over time. And this was complemented by a time to first assessment of serious adverse renal outcomes, including dialysis, renal transplant, and the sustained profound reduction in EGFR, basically what the nephrologists refer to as renal death. Mm -hmm. And so these were the only three endpoints that were part of our hierarchical testing procedure. And we said upfront uh, that the trial would be a success or failure, whether we achieve these three endpoints or not. And what did you find? Well, we uh, found uh, on the primary endpoint that empagliflozin reduced the risk of cardiovascular death and hospitalization for heart failure by 25%. Wow. We found... Uh, before we go on, what was the absolute risk reduction there? And what was your NNT? Absolute risk reduction was about 5%, which is really remarkable. Wow. Wow. So 5%, you'd only have to treat 20 people to prevent a cardiovascular death or right. a hospitalization. You are exactly right. Number to treat in this trial was 19. Wow. Very good. That's very impressive. You don't see that much in cardiology. I mean, rarely. It, it, was, it, was, it was a very impressive result. It was consistent across all subgroups. And it reached statistical significance on its own, in, in its own right, even in patients who were getting sucubitrol valsartan. We had enough patients with Zucupertrol Varsartan to actually uh, test that hypothesis. And uh, just to make sure, effect was the same whether patients had diabetes or didn't have diabetes. And uh, so very, very consistent effects on the primary endpoint. Uh, P-value on the primary endpoint was less than 0 0.0001. Wow, great. Uh, secondary endpoint, total hospitalizations, first and recurrent events, empagliflozin reduced uh, that by 30%. Again, highly statistically significant p-value uh, less than 001. And that's an important endpoint because it's a very costly endpoint. It's I mean, heart failure, is, heart failure is probably our biggest uh, cost in cardiovascular medicine and to get down the total burden of disease, any admission is amazing. Uh, no, did you look at the number of days alive and outside the hospital, any of these endpoints? So that is uh, one of our um, additional analyses. We haven't looked at that uh, yet. Uh, we actually only broke the blind of this study about four and a half weeks ago. 
Yeah. So uh, we because that's uh, what patients care about. Am I alive? Yeah, that's right. At the hospital. So, exactly. Uh, yeah. uh, I, uh, I I I will tell you that the effect on uh, hospitalizations was so impressive and occurred so early that um, I suspect when we do that that analysis that we're we're going to be very encouraged. I bet you will. So now your uh, secondary endpoint. So uh, the third third of the hierarchy was the renal endpoint. This is the slope of EGFR over time and the occurrence of uh, serious adverse renal events. Uh, again, uh, a very meaningful slowing of the rate of decline in renal function over time. Uh, the uh, risk of a serious renal event, dialysis, transplant, renal death, reduced by 50%. 50, five, 50, zero. five zero, statistically wow. significant. Wow. And, um, and this was really impressive because uh, at the end of the trial, we withdrew the drug in order to eliminate the confounder of having an SGLT2 in inhibitor present. And over the course of follow-up, uh, EGFR declined by uh, four to five uh, during the course of double-blind therapy on placebo mm -hmm. and stayed flat with empical flows and only declined by 0 0.9. So there was like a legacy effect that all the good you did over those months then persisted? Persisted. Persisted yeah. was wasn't dependent on the presence of the drug. The drug actually exerted a renal protective effect over the course of the follow-up. So wow. really impressive. By the way, similar result had been seen in diabetes trials. So we were very happy to see it in a heart failure trial where wow. half the patients didn't have diabetes. Amazing. Well, congratulations. This is, you know, so great that we have a second choice now. Where do you see this class of drugs in terms of our armamentarium? I mean, has it earned a seat at the table as a first-line therapy? Second, where do you see it fitting into practice? Well, the results of, of uh, for these drugs uh, on, um, on heart failure hospitalizations and on renal events is so consistent. It's so impressive. We have seen it now in six separate trials. Yes. We've seen it in diabetes. We see it in heart failure with a reduced ejection fraction. Uh, in heart failure with a reduced ejection fraction, we've now seen it in two large-scale trials, one with dapagliflozin, one with empagliflozin. I think the data are pretty compelling. Uh, I think that this represents a, a new cornerstone in, in the treatment of heart failure on top of other drugs we have for heart failure, on top of angiotensin receptor neprilysin inhibitors, on top of beta blockers, on top of spironolactone. This now represents the fourth cornerstone in our treatment for heart failure. Now, I, I would say that, I say that even though the effect of these drugs on cardiovascular death is, is relatively modest. Uh, depending on the trial, it, it's around 15%. It's about half the effect on hospitalizations for heart failure. Some trials you see it, some trials you don't. Uh, 
it was seen in a trial with uh, empagliflozin, but not dapagliflozin in diabetes. In heart failure with a reduced ejection fraction was seen with dapagliflozin, but not empagliflozin. The data are very heterogeneous. But the data on hospitalizations for heart failure and for renal outcomes is not heterogeneous. It is consistent, it is compelling, and it's clinically so important. I agree, it sounds amazing. Let me ask you an interesting question. What if this drug had come along before the ACE inhibitors and the ARBs? Do a thought experiment for me. Here you just said this drug adds to the benefit of all the drugs you mentioned. Do you think those drugs would add benefit to this class of drugs? Well, uh, I can speculate. Uh, I can't know because that experiment will never be done. But I think these, from everything that we know, the mechanism of action of all of the cornerstones of treatment for heart failure, the mechanisms are distinct. They're non-overlapping. Uh, and, and, and here's the way I, I, I think I, is best to answer that question. The benefit of a beta blocker doesn't depend on an ACE inhibitor. Benefit of an ACE inhibitor doesn't depend on whether a patient taking a, a beta blocker. Um, the magnitude of the effect of each of these classes of drugs is not influenced by concomitant therapy with another. So if these drugs had turned uh, up uh, 20 years ago and uh, we showed them to be effective and then ACE inhibitors uh, neprilysin inhibitors, beta blockers uh, came along, I think they would still be shown to be effective to exactly the same degree that we saw when those trials were done 10, 15 years ago. Interesting. Well, sometimes on the antiplatelet, antithrombin side, we haven't seen that. You know, I we, know, I know. We invert things and say, let's pull aspirin away. You know? I know. You don't see the same benefits. That's why I was trying to do the thought of experiment of uh, having this drug introduced first and then seeing if the others had a benefit. So I when it's possible when we, that, that antiplatelet drugs, the mechanisms overlap much more than they, than they do in heart failure. Let me ask you this, Milt. When do you start this drug? I mean, what would be your first drug uh, in someone with, um, you know, reduced ejection fraction? What would be your first, second, third, fourth line drug? So I, I think there are four first line drugs four first-line drugs. Uh, I don't really think of starting a drug first and then a second drug second as second line because if every single drug is critical to the success of the patient, there isn't a first line and second line. First line, second line for some physicians means I'll try this first and if it doesn't work, I'll try number two or number three. Here, you have to be on four drugs. So Every you would start all four from the beginning when you said twice. But not necessarily on the same day. Okay. Not on the same day, but with, within several weeks of each other. Okay. Uh, I would not wait to see if the patient responded to one drug before starting the second, third, and fourth. If, if I had heart failure and reduced ejection fraction, I would want to be on all four drugs within four to six weeks. Okay. Of having my diagnosis made. And I, I think that's what patients need. Uh, there's 
too much sense of, well, if the patient uh, responds to the first drug, I won't start the second. Or the patient doesn't respond, I'll wait and see if they don't respond, um, and then start the second and third. That's, that's not what the data show. The data show you need four drugs. It, it's sort of like thinking of cancer chemotherapy. If you knew four drugs would, were better than two drugs in prolonging life, yes, you would take four. Those are good words uh, to end with. Well, this is great. Thank you for uh, sharing the data with us. And also, really importantly for all of us who practice out there, thanks for sharing your philosophy on where this fits in. Sounds like it's the fourth uh, drug at the table now. Thanks so much, Matt. Thank you so much, Mike. It's always a delight. Thank you. Always great.